Welcome to Fast Lane with Sarah Jane, a podcast for women who are on the move, managing life and family. Your host, Sarah Jane, is building a tribe and talking about the things that affect the daily lives of moms. You can expect real conversations about managing chaos, finding ways to take care of mind and body, and stepping outside your comfort zone on the way to living your best life. Hold on for a wild ride. Now, let's get started. Today, I'm excited to speak with Jen Rosenbaum. And the reason I'm excited because this woman is so multifaceted. And when I found her, I spent a lot of time listening to her podcast, looking at her photography, watching her journey that she had with breast cancer. And I think I've just tip of the iceberg with her. I think I can do a lot more uh, research. So, Jen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I find it fascinating all of the things that you do or have done, whether it be whether you wanted to do it or whether it's been handed to you. But first of all, let's talk a little bit about you and what you do. Sure. Yeah, I do a lot of things. But at the core of everything that I do, I really work to help women celebrate their unique femininity shamelessly. And that I do with my camera. I do it with my writing. I do it with my social media. I do it with uh, my breast cancer journey. Um, So everything really kind of comes back to that mission statement. So it's all different, but it's really all the same as well. I started about 12 years ago as a boudoir photographer after um, suffering from infertility and trying to have another baby and having a whole slew of issues. And I was at the point where I was like, you know, am I going to sit home and feel bad about myself or am I going to do something with my time? And I decided to do something with my time. So I picked up a camera and I taught myself photography. And I mean, this is the very condensed version, but (laughs) shortly after uh, I discovered Boudoir and I loved it. And it really allowed me to connect with women and hear women's stories and share my stories. And the women that I work with have really been with me on this journey of the last 10 years of, or 12 years of, you know, infertility and motherhood and turning 40 and feeling feminine and then breast cancer and mastectomies and uh, chemo and recovering from breast cancer and all of that. So really, I am sort of a representation of a lot of things that women go through. And I talk about it openly and honestly, and I help other women get through their journeys as well. What an emotional roller coaster to deal with infertility. And then you were able to have another child. I was. And then breast cancer. Like those Mm -hmm. two things alone... I mean, some people struggle with one of them and it is life altering and you had to deal with two. How did you handle that? Yeah. You know, I, it's funny that I, I, this mission statement is about being shamelessly feminine, right? Which I came up with this mission statement many years ago before breast cancer, but my, I do feel as if my femininity has been under attack forever. It is really interesting. So when I was having trouble having another baby, I had an ectopic pregnancy, it ruptured, I needed surgery. I thought I was going to lose my ovaries. It was like a whole, you know, and then I lost my breasts and then, you know, it's just, it can be very overwhelming, but I will tell you this. When I went through my infertility journey and and I discovered photography and I created a business and not just a business, but a life out of that, what I saw was grass basically growing out of concrete. And I knew Mm. that when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, that it was happening for me, not to me. It was giving me the ability to reach more women, to spread a message, to save women's lives, to help them embrace their femininity. And I knew from the beginning, okay, good things can come out of this. As hard as this is, 
Wow. There will be a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm still working on all of that. I mean, I'm three years out since I was diagnosed and it's a long journey. Breast cancer, and I'm assuming any kind of cancer, can be a long journey to get through. I'm still undergoing surgeries. I'm still in certain treatment. I'm still you know, doing certain things. But I wrote a book and I formed a Facebook group and I have a platform on YouTube where people, you know, I've made a lot of videos and I help people. And so I am able to see that every cloud has the silver lining and use that opportunity of like a second chance at life to spread that message. So I believe it's part of why I was put on this earth. And, and it's the only way I could really make sense of it and understand it, to be honest. And I assume like when I look at your photos and I watch your videos, you're very feminine. And so looking at you, it's funny to think, you know, appearance, when you look at appearances, you never know what's underneath, you know, so you should never, ever judge a book by its cover. So you look at you, you are a beautiful person. And then to find out that you struggle with that, it, it's, it's hard to digest because it's like this beautiful person is dealing with that. And that, that's, that's hard. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. You know, I really learned that through my years of boudoir where women would come in and they would be stunningly beautiful, stunningly beautiful, and tell me all the time how they suffer from issues with their femininity or not feeling pretty enough or good enough or smart enough or lovable. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what? Are you looking in the same mirror that I see you? Like, I don't understand. So I understand that. I, I see other breast cancer survivors that, you know, I've photographed women that have gone flat, for example, I have no reconstruction. And I'm like, my God, they are so strong and they're so beautiful and they're so amazing. And I admire them, but I know that they suffer they suffer from feeling feminine and, and uh, you know, they, they don't suffer from feeling feminine. They suffer from not feeling feminine right. and they, they suffer from um, body image issues and identity crises. And uh, there's a lot that goes on. You know, I, I have an expression in my boudoir business that says, um, I say, shed your clothes, shed your inhibitions. And really the truth is that our clothes in a way hide us from our reality. So if you just met me on the street, I have reconstructions, I have breast implants. If you just met me on the street, you would never know that I had breast cancer, that I went through all of that. You would never know that I am struggling right now because I need to have my ovaries out and I'm, I'm struggling to actually do it because it's a femininity thing, even though I'm done having children and nobody sees it. And it's, you know, it's not a part of my outward appearance. It's a part of who I am and my youth and my femininity. And it's very scary to lose that. So, but if I took off my shirt, you'd see my scars. You would see what I have going on. And I think that basically what I'm striving to do in the world is sort of shed those inhibitions, sometimes shedding my clothes. I do post pictures of my chest often, but even if I don't shed my clothes, shedding the inhibitions by really speaking my truth and it's hard. It's hard. And I want women out there to know if you struggle with certain issues of your femininity, you're not alone. It's really hard. As women, I think from the minute we, maybe even before this, but certainly the minute we get our period to the minute you know we die, we're ever changing. It's like your period and then child rearing years and then trying to get mm -hmm. yourself back after having a child and then menopause. And the, I mean, there's so much mm -hmm. that, that goes on and it's we have to go with the flow and it's not always so easy. And yeah, especially because your flow has not been much of a flow. It's been more like a turbulent rapid. Correct. Correct. Yes. So how, since it is breast cancer month, how did you find out that you had breast cancer? Yeah, it's a great question. And I have a full video on this. 
on my YouTube channel if anybody wants to see that because I do think self-exams are so, so, so vital. And anybody that's listening out there, men and women, by the way, um, please, please, please check your breasts. I found my own cancer. Um, I was having mammograms every six months and I still found my own cancer. So I had felt what felt like a swollen muscle on the upper part of my chest, almost more toward the collarbone, but like a little bit underneath the collarbone. And um, it ended up being a very large mass. And what's interesting is it didn't feel like a lump. You know, we're, we're taught to feel for like a pea-sized lump excuse me, a pea-sized lump, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like a swollen muscle. And there's a reason for that. And we're not taught this. At least I wasn't taught this. There's two different types of breast cancer. And I'm not a doctor. So nobody out there like use my word as a doctor. I'm just trying to give advice. There's ductal carcinoma and there's lobular carcinoma. And the ductal type forms a lump. It has a protein that keeps the cells together. So you feel that pea-sized lump. I had invasive lobular carcinoma. Lobular grows within the lobules of the breast. So what happens is it's missing that protein. It doesn't form a lump. Instead, it sort of spreads through the lobules. So for me, it felt like a swollen muscle because that's essentially what it was in a way. I mean, it wasn't a swollen muscle, but that's what it felt like. It felt like just like a hard, large mass. It wasn't a lump. And I remember saying to my husband, like, is this weird? What is it? Has this always been here? And he was like, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't feel like a lump, so you're probably fine, but call the doctor if you are ner- nervous about it. And I said, oh, I have a, a mammogram in six weeks. I'll, I'll wait six weeks or whatever. It didn't hurt? Didn't hurt. It felt like it was coming and going, although it was not. What happened was I had very cystic breasts. And if I got my period, my breasts would swell a little bit and I would feel it less. And then after I had my period, my breasts would you know, not swell. And then I would feel it a little bit more. It never hurt. It never, I didn't have inverted nipples or dents or anything that you can think of that would, I have no family history. I have no genetics. I have no, I mean, there is zero reason why I would have gotten cancer. If you are playing the odds, zero reason I would have gotten breast cancer. I mean, I'm, I was 41 at the time. I was young. I breastfed my children. I mean, I did all the things, you know, I was doing yoga and drinking green juice and taking my vitamins and, you know, all, I, I'm not a big drinker. I'm not a smoker, you know, all the things. There was no reason for me to get breast cancer. So if, if you're out there and you're like, oh, I don't really need to check my breasts because I don't really, I'm not at high risk. You're wrong. Every, if you're a woman, you are at risk, period. And that's what I'm trying to let people know. It doesn't matter. I mean, I was, I've been researching some statistics for the month to put stuff out there. Mm-hmm. I think they say something like 85% of cases of breast cancer have zero family history. I mean, we are led to believe that it's the other way around, right? That like 85% of cases do have yep. family history because that's the first question they ask you, right? Do you have family yep. history? It doesn't matter if you don't have family history. It doesn't matter if you don't have the genetics. It doesn't matter if you take care of yourself. You are still at risk. Oh my gosh. So then you said you were having, every six months you were having mammograms? Yeah. So I live on Long Island in New York and it's a very, we have a higher rate of breast cancer here than in other areas of the country. So the doctors here tend to be a little bit more um, aggressive about screening and whatnot, especially for me, I am an Ashkenazi Jew and we have a higher rate than everybody else, (laughs) you know? Uh, Yeah. There's, there's a lot of genetics uh, that are very prevalent in the Ashkenazi Jewish community like BRCA. So if you have a BRCA gene, you have a much higher rate. You have like something like a fifth. This is not, 
I'm making this up. I don't really know, but something like a 50% <laughs> higher rate of getting breast cancer than the average woman walking the street. So a lot of women that have the genetics have prophylactic mastectomies where they remove their breasts before they even get cancer. So anyway, I saw a doctor who was very diligent, thank goodness. And I went when I was 40 for my first mammogram. He saw some calcifications on my left-hand side and he said, probably nothing, but let's just double check it again in six months to be sure. I went back in six months. It was nothing. And he saw a cyst on my right side. So he said, the calcifications are fine, but I see a cyst on your right side. So come back in six months. Let's check the cyst. When I went back for that six-month checkup, that's when I said to them, before I leave, can you do me a favor and just check this spot that I feel over here? And that's when I was diagnosed. So really what they were watching had nothing to do with what actually my cancer was. And by the way, my cancer was a seven centimeter mass with a three centimeter mass underneath it. And it did not show up on a mammogram. Zero, zero percentage wow. of it showed up, did not show, show up on a mammogram. So what happens is when they do a biopsy, they also put a titanium marker in the mass and then they'll do a mammogram. So the mammogram saw the titanium marker and saw zero of my cancer the sonogram only showed about three centimeters of my cancer. And the MRI also only showed about three centimeters. But when they removed my breast and they saw what was in there, my breast surgeon said, your breast was littered with cancer. And on the other side, on my left side, I had something called LCIS, which is lobular carcinoma in situ. That means that it's lobular carcinoma, but it hasn't moved. It hasn't left the lobules. And so it's not considered cancer but it is usually an indication that you're more likely to get cancer on that side. So having a double mastectomy was the right choice for me, 100%. Um, but you never really know until you actually remove your breasts and they go through the tissue to know what's really going on in there. But that's the other thing I want people to know. If you're getting mammograms, it's not enough. You maybe need sonograms. You have to do self-exams. Those three work together um, to help reduce your risk of not finding it. Because you know, I, I have an expression... Finding cancer is not scary, even though it is, but finding cancer is not scary. Not finding cancer is scary. You always want to make sure you're finding it before it's too late. So when you when you brought that, asked them to check out that mass, were they pretty concerned when they... Oh, yeah. I mean, you... Yeah. Look, I mean, they were like, they couldn't find it at first. They were just kind of pressing down. Then finally she pressed really hard with the sonogram machine. And I saw like this football sized black hole on the screen and I, I was like, what is that? And she was like, yeah, I'm going to get the doctor. <laughs> so the doctor came in and said, listen, I'm not letting you leave here without a biopsy. And, and I'm always fascinated by the different healthcare systems that we have in the States because I know some people, the doctors will say, come back in two weeks for a biopsy or come back in a month. My doctor wouldn't let me leave the room without a biopsy. So uh, he did a biopsy and he sat me down and he said, listen, I've been doing this a long time and I know what cancer looks like. And I'm telling you, you have cancer. And my husband basically said, well, wh what, it, just, what, it, what could it be if it's not cancer? What, could it be something else? And he said, there's nothing else it can be. So I was really prepared. I knew when I got the call from him that I was, that's the road that I was going down. So from the time that you found that the doctor told you that, mm -hmm. how soon did you have your double mastectomy? So I uh, had my biopsy July 10th. I was diagnosed July 12th and I had my biopsy August 2nd. So, and that was, I pushed it off a little bit. My doctor wanted to do it like July 26th, I think was the date. And I was like, wait, can we, you know, cause it, first of all, it takes a week or so to even see a doctor. I wanted to get more than one opinion. And then, you know, the doctor says, oh, what are you doing next Tuesday? And you're like, wait, what? I, I'm not ready for this, but it was fast. It was really fast. My cancer was aggressive. So they needed to work quickly. And it didn't spread, like it was only... 
Thank God it was not, I'm going to knock wood. It was not in my lymph nodes and it was not anywhere else in my body. I did have eight rounds of chemotherapy after my double mastectomy. They do something called an oncotype score where they take your breast tissue and they run different tests on it and they come back with a score. And the score is how likely are you to have a reoccurrence? And at the, the numbers are always changing because we're just living guinea pigs, right? Nobody has the answer for cancer. So at the time, if you had more than an 18, you needed to have chemotherapy. You were on the border, but they really recommended that you have chemotherapy. Of course, I scored a 19. <laughs> so I was like, are you kidding me? So I had eight rounds of chemotherapy as a precaution and I'm on tamoxifen, which is, it blocks estrogen from your cells. That is a, it's an estrogen blocker and, and my cancer is estrogen fed. So I'm on the tamoxifen for 10 years and I'm also currently on Lupron, which suppresses the ovaries and puts you into medical menopause. So there's a, still a lot. And I just had my, another reconstruction surgery about three months ago. And I have a little bit more to do with that. So I'm still sort of in the process, but luckily not wood, cancer-free. <laughs> and you're feeling, now that you've had the reconstruction, does that make you feel more feminine? It helps. Okay. Is it an answer? No, it's not. There, there is, what people don't understand what you see from the outside is not what the person feels on the inside. They don't feel like part of your body. You don't have any sensation. I have no nipples. I mean, they feel like accessories. You know, they're they're what I call foobs, right? The fake boobs. They are <laughs> they're beautiful. And my last plastic surgeon, who is a godsend, did an amazing job on me. And you know, we're continuing to make a few tweaks and make it look really great. But what I learned, and I talk about this in the book, when I when I sit down and I really think about the women that I admire in the world and what I love about them and what makes them feminine, I started making lists of what makes them feminine. And what I realized was I never put on the list, she has boobs, <laughs> right. right? Like that yeah. doesn't make somebody feminine. It might add to their femininity, it might make them feel feminine, but I don't admire people in the world because they have breasts. I admire women of the world because they're strong and resilient and, and motherly and caring. And, uh, you know, there's a million words that I can use to describe women that I, I love and admire that have nothing to do with their breasts. So I remind myself that my femininity can't necessarily be taken away just by removing my breasts, even though it feels like it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you have a teenage daughter, right? I do. So this is crazy. My daughter's 15 now. So she was 12 when I was diagnosed. And so she's at the age where she's getting breasts and I'm losing my breasts. And it was a very crazy time. She was getting her period and I was losing my period. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she was kind of turning into a woman and I felt like my womanhood was being stolen from me. It was a very interesting coincidence of timing in my house. But I'm very open with her and she's seen my breasts. And I, you know, I've always said to her, if you want to see it, I'll show you. If you don't want to see it, I'll hide it forever. Like it's really mm-hmm. up to you. And she she's asked me before, you know, am I gonna get breast cancer? Am I at risk? And you know, just teaching her the realities and you know, having her just love her body the way it is. Cause I tell you, I did have a lot of regret. Um, I happen to have loved my breasts always, but um, I did have a lot of regret over the years for my beating my body up verbally, which I still do sometimes. I'm not perfect, but um, I just remember I had sort of this little personal ritual right before my mastectomy of just thanking my breasts. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. Mm -hmm. Thanking my breasts, thanking my body um, for everything that they did for me and apologizing for ever 
saying anything bad about myself because my, I knew my body was going to change forever. Mm-hmm. You know, so just appreciating what you have while you have it. And I try to remind myself of that. Like right now, I, I've had a bunch of surgeries this last year. COVID hit. I'm 15 pounds more than I want to be. And I, there are many days where I'm like, oh, you're so fat. You're so gross. Your jeans are too tight. What are you doing? And I have to remind myself, who cares? I'm healthy today. I'm healthy Great. today. You know? Yeah. Um, it's part of being a woman. We all struggle with it. Breast cancer amplifies it by a bajillion. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, there's a lot of um, negativity and positivity. It depends where you lie about breastfeeding. And you said that you were able to breastfeed. And I am glad that you got that chance too, because it's almost like, I'm sure you think back on memories of them at this point, don't you? I do. It's, it's very bittersweet. You know, it's a very bittersweet thing where you say, well, okay, at least I, I was able to have children. There's a lot of people that are diagnosed with breast cancer that can't have children. I have a friend now who's pregnant and had a mastectomy. She has no breasts. She had no reconstruction, but she's pregnant. She's not going to be able to nurse her child. That's, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. And this isn't, this isn't speaking about breastfeeding. If you choose not to breastfeed, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Exactly. But I, I'm just saying that it's hard. You're, all, you're not just losing your femininity. You are losing a connection with your children. You're losing a connection with your youth. You know, I remember... I went to the gynecologist the first time I went to speak to her. I go about once a year to talk about taking out my ovaries and then I chicken out. But Mm -hmm. uh, the first time I went, I sat in the waiting room for a while and there was a lot of really young, beautiful, pregnant women. And when I say young, they were probably maybe 10 years younger than me or so, maybe more. And then I went into her office and they were just glowing. They were just beautiful, you know, glowing and they were with their partners and they seemed happy. And this is also a fantasy I'd make up in my head because I have no idea, you know, really what goes on behind closed doors. <laughs> right. But in my head, they're beautiful and happy and, and, you know, whatever. And I went into the doctor's office and she was like, all right, let's talk about, you know, removing your ovaries. And I just started bawling. And she was like, I don't understand. You're done having children. Like what's going on here? And I was like, I just miss my youth. I miss... Like I was that glowing woman five minutes ago. How did I go from that to a woman in menopause at 42 years old without breasts and and feeling like it's aging me because of my hormones? I'm being stripped of my hormones and you know stress and all of that. I said, how did I get here? I don't I don't understand. Have I did I miss the prime of my life? You know, I'm in my 40s. Like, did I miss the prime of my life? And it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not just the removal of breasts. It's so much that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And I think some of it is that you want, it's like a chapter closing. Like you don't want that chapter to close and you you maybe don't want to read that chapter again, but you want to have the option of having that, right? Yes. I think that when we, as women, we go through stages pretty slowly, right? Like you go into menopause, you don't lose your period overnight. You go through a you have time to adjust. It's not easy, but there's an adjustment period, right? I didn't have an adjustment period. Somebody, you know, you talk about a chapter, somebody slammed that book shut, you know? <laughs> My fingers were in there and they slammed the book shut and that was it. That's very hard. That's very hard for me. And I'm at a point now, I'm 45 and I'm on Lupron for five years. I've already been on it for two. So if I go off of it in five years, there's a chance I could come out of menopause and then I'll have to go through it again naturally. And by the way, anybody that's gone through menopause knows it's not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a walk in the park. So you know, I, I'm faced with these decisions. We're always faced with these decisions of like, okay, which way would you like to lose your femininity? Do you want to remove them yourself or do you want to just wait for nature to take its course? You know, <laughs> right. uh, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy decisions. 
And then when, when you were talking about your friend who's pregnant, who had a double mastectomy and that again, because I don't want to step on anyone's toes, whether a person breastfeeds or not, that's a personal decision. I don't care. I did it as well with my children. I'm happy that I did it. But even if you're not going to do it, you want the option. Mm-hmm. That That's just what you want. And do you have pictures of her? On, I do. I do. They're beautiful. Yeah. Thank they're you on my beautiful. Instagram. Yeah. I've looked at them a few times. Yeah. She's, she's a pretty amazing woman and she's unfortunately battling cancer again through her pregnancy. So the next few weeks is going to be really vital for her. She's, she's having the baby very soon and we'll we'll see what happens with her, but just send her some love. If you're listening, she could use it. Absolutely. And check out the pictures because the pictures are, are absolutely beautiful. So I also want to talk about you being a photographer, because do you think that during some of these difficult times, was it looking through the lens, you were looking through, you know, a different lens, so it was kind of taking you out of the current reality? Yeah, so photography has always been a tool of healing for me, 100%. I mean, from the very beginning. But throughout my cancer journey, for sure. I mean, I posted a video yesterday, as a matter of fact. Yesterday was International Flat Day. So it's for women that have not had reconstruction. Uh, It's a day to recognize them. And I posted a video of me and a woman named Marianne who decided to go flat. And I was photographing her while I was undergoing treatment. I I was having chemo at the time. So I worked with her and she was so amazing. She was so beautiful, so sexy, so feminine, so strong, but no breasts anywhere to be seen, right? I mean, she was just incredible. And she left the, that day and I said to my makeup artist, Diana, you know, I said, isn't she amazing? Like, I would love to be like that. Like, that is like, I am so inspired by her. And, and Diana looked at me and kind of cocked her head to the side and said, but we all see you like that. Like, what do you mean? And I was like, what? It like, you know, blew my brain. I was like, wow, you know, because we don't see ourselves the way other people see us. And so when you are, I'm able to use my camera to put people in front of my lens, I could see in that way. And then I could resonate with certain feelings and certain experiences. It's so helpful. It's so good. I, 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 listen, I don't call myself a photographer. I call myself a photographer therapist. I'm not a therapist, but what I do has a very therapeutic aspect for it, not just for the client, but for me as well. There, this exchange of energy is very therapeutic for me. It allows me to see life in a different way. It allows me to see myself in a different way. And hopefully I'm helping the person in front of my lens do the same thing. So I actually was going to ask you if you ever feel like a therapist, because you must talk these people through when you take their photographs. Yeah. They're, like I said, I am not a trained therapist. I have taken life coaching classes, which I think helps me through this a lot. But, you know, just offering women a safe space where they can come in and speak their truth. I can't tell you how many women have told me I'm unhappy in my job and I'm, I'm unhappy in my marriage. I wish I could have another baby. I can't stand being a mom. You know, like at times I hate being a mom at times or <laughs> I wish I could lose weight or I wish I could gain weight or I, you know, whatever it might be, women speaking their truth to somebody who really listens and hears them and gives them a space to do that is so rare in this world because women are very quick to judge other women, generally speaking. And we're worried about judgment. We're worried about disconnect. We're worried about... I mean, when a woman says, I'm not really sure I'm cut out for this mothering thing. Like I have kids and I love my kids, but I'm not sure I love being a mom. There's an immediate sense of like shame and horror. I'm able to say to them, "Uh, yeah, I get it. I mean, I have a teenage daughter. 
enough said, you know, like I love my daughter, but holy shit. I keep saying like, if cancer is not going to kill me, the teenager is like, it's not, it's not easy. The whole marriage thing, you know, for women to say, I'm really unhappily married or I'm not sexually fulfilled, or I'm not, I don't know how to speak up for myself. I mean, we have been martyring ourselves for our entire lives. I really believe that for the most part, women have been martyring themselves to make everybody else happy. When they're in my studio, they're there to make themselves happy. And it gives them a space to do that. And I love that I can offer them that. I really like your motto that you work with kick-ass women who need a kick in the ass. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, really I am like one that. of those women. I am one of those women. I know I am kick-ass. I know maybe that sounds egotistical. See, I have to say that because as women, we're like afraid to give ourselves a compliment <laughs> yep. without people thinking we're so narcissistic. But I don't really, you know what? I don't care if people think I'm narcissistic. I know that I'm kick-ass. I know that I'm powerful and I have the ability to change the world in my own little way. But sometimes I just need a kick in the ass because life is hard. You know, life is hard yes. and it tries to knock you down in every corner. And, you know, it's just a matter of getting up again, getting up again, getting up again. That's why it's so refreshing finding people like you because you clearly have been through a lot. You could be just sitting at home scrolling through Facebook, trolling on people, you know, just hiding from the world. And you're not. You are going out there and trying to help people live their best life. And, I, I absolutely love that. I don't even, I've never met you. And if it wasn't Corona, I would just want to give you a big squeeze. <laughs> well, I will send you a virtual squeeze. <laughs> I, I love it. And I, I would like to say that when I'm looking at your photographs, what I think is great is that I'm looking through all these photos and there's people of all ages, all shapes, all sizes. And I'm looking at all these pictures and I'm thinking, wow, these are really good. They're really good. And then it, and I'm saying this in the best way possible, but then it hit me. They were not all perfect model people, but it didn't, like, I didn't even think about that. And you're right. Women are so judgmental. And if I were to stand in the mirror right now, naked, I am pointing everything out, but I'm looking at these pictures and I'm literally loving all of them. And I'm thinking, yes, this has to be so fun to do. And I bet they're having so much fun and, oh, they got their hair and makeup done. I'm thinking about their experience and they have flaws and I didn't even see any flaws because they those pictures were that good that I wasn't judging at all I was loving every minute of it yeah see when people look at you or they look at me they don't see the flaws they see somebody that they love they see somebody they see your characteristics they see yes external beauty you're obviously very beautiful but you can look in the mirror and say oh i don't like my curly hair i don't like my whatever you know this is the one of the biggest lessons i've learned throughout my career and i've seen it again and again like for example there was a woman that i photographed once every time she smiled she had a vein that popped out in her forehead some people have that and so she wouldn't smile oh. i was like wait you're going to go through your entire life not smiling nobody sees that vein but you you know, yep, nobody's right. looking at that vein, they're looking at your smile. Or um, a woman who told me that she would never go to the beach because she had stretch marks on her thighs and she was so ashamed of her stretch marks. So I got her in her underwear and I'm looking and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but like, where are these stretch marks? And she points out like these little, like nothing, nobody's ever seeing them. In the meantime, this woman was like going over to Africa and taking care of orphans. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you, they're not thinking about your stretch marks. They're thinking about your work in Africa and how amazing that is and why that makes you such a special person. And, but she wouldn't go to the beach. So now she's, she's like, I love the beach, but I won't go. So like people are limiting, women are limiting their lives 
based on their physical attributes that they think other people are looking at and judging and they're so afraid to, to show up that way. I have this too. Like I said, I'm 15 pounds overweight right now than where I would like to be, okay? There are times where I'm like, maybe I don't want to go on video because I can't stand the way I look. I wish I looked like I did seven months ago. I wish I looked like whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what am I going to do? I'm not going to tell women how to find their own cancer and risk somebody's life because I'm 10 pounds overweight or 15 pounds overweight. Like how horrible is that? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go to the beach with my kids because I have scars on my breast. So I'm going to lose out on that experience in order to save somebody that I don't even know judging me. It's it's mind boggling really when you think about it. Like I, I, I I hate my nose. I hate my nose. Hate, hate, hate. It's big. I need a nose job. Ironically, I never got one because I was scared of plastic surgery. Now that I've had like 58 <laughs> plastic surgeries, you know, and I, I still, I hate it. I'm scared of changing it because I'm scared I'm not going to recognize myself or there might, you know, something might not look right or I'm giving my daughter the wrong message about changing who you are. And then you think about people like Jennifer Gray who got a nose job and she wasn't unique anymore after, you know, it was like she changed her face and now it's like, ah, now you look like everybody else. Not so exciting. So sometimes it is the characteristic that we hate the most, that people love the most about us. There's that also, but I don't know. Have you ever fallen in love with somebody or like met somebody that you're like, oh, I'm not really sure that they're so good looking. And then you like meet them and you get to know them and like they change, the way they look changes. Or you find somebody super attractive and they do something horrible to you. And now they look like a Grinch. Like you're like, how did I ever find you attractive? (laughs) It's because... Because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's because when we see somebody that we love and we admire, we're seeing them in a different way than when you and I look in the mirror. So if I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm only seeing bad things, I have to ask myself, am I looking at myself with love? Because if you were, you wouldn't be seeing yourself that way. You also would be seeing your good qualities or you would at least forgive some of the, what we think is bad physical attributes, right? So yeah. And I struggle with this. I, I want to say that. I struggle with this. I do. Yeah. And and it's not something that a person's just going to get over right away. And I have not looked at you once and thought you had a big nose. So that's interesting to hear you say that. But I know last night when I got out of the shower, I was complaining about something. And then I said to my husband, it's just good that I have such a great personality. And he started laughing. And I was like, well, that has to make up for some of this, right? <laughs> Which is so absurd. Because again, I look at you and I'm like, what are you even talking about? I mean... And, and we have to ask ourselves, why are we okay with talking about ourselves and to ourselves like that? It's just yeah. awful. If you spoke about me like that, I would never talk to you again. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> the truth? If you said to me, Jen, it's a good thing you have a good personality, I'd be like, I don't think we can be friends, okay? That's not nice. <laughs> I, I've never thought about it that way, but I definitely like it. And when you say that we look at our flaws and like other people might think they're beautiful, a good example of this is uh, one of your photos. This girl had uh, vitiligo. Oh, yeah. And I had, I was just looking through the pictures and I was like, wow, that, that girl's really pretty. And then later I read what the caption on it, because I'd seen it a few times. And I thought, that is funny because the first thing that's what I thought of is, wow, she is very pretty. And then I also thought, man, if I saw her on the street, I would do a double take just because she's stunning. Right. So you're referring to the caption where I said she used to go out of the house with a full house. So, okay, here's a good example. Let me go backwards. She wanted a puppy. She wanted a dog, but she didn't get a dog because she felt that she had to leave the house with a full face of makeup every single time to cover the vitiligo. And she's like, I can't go out and walk my 
dog five times a day if I need to put a full face of makeup on every single day. Like that's too much work for me. So I'm not going to get a dog. So now she's missing out on the opportunity of having a dog, right? Because of her skin condition. Okay. So the way her skin was fading, the color was fading was so unique and so cool. I saw her on Instagram and I stalked her. I mean, I like, I was like, I have to take a picture of you. You're so ridiculously beautiful. I have to get you in front of my camera. And she was hesitant at first. And then she finally agreed to it. And we were talking about it. And she said, you know, everybody stares at me. And well, so now she doesn't wear makeup all the time anymore. She's embraced her vitiligo. She's embracing the difference. And she said, you know, everybody stares at me. Everywhere I go, people stare at me. And I said to her, is there a chance, do you think, that maybe people are staring at you because you're so unique and beautiful and stunning and, and you stand out in a crowd for sure yeah. in a good way that's why people are looking at you. And she yeah. said to me, like, I never even thought about it that way. Wow. You that you are a therapist. I am, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's not therapy. It's the truth. Because I know yeah. that to be true because I saw her that way. I was like, I hunted you down. You know, yeah. I could have had a, a million beautiful, you know, conventionally beautiful women in front of my lens. That's not what I wanted. I wanted you because you are unique. You yeah. stand out you are incredible. And there's a story behind what's happening here. And it's making you the person that you are. You know, if we don't have struggle, we don't grow. And, and that's just the truth. Yeah, that is true. So I look at these photos and I think they're great. And I personally, I would like to do photos like this. I've decided now I'm not going to do them unless I do them with you. So I'm going to yeah. have to, I'm going to have to go to New York, but here's my question. What do you do with the photos? I was talking to my husband about this. I said, I would like to do something like this for myself, probably for a gift, whatever. But then what do you do with them? I have three sons. Do we, you know, when we get older, do we sit around the bonfire and burn them so our kids never see them? What do you do? No, this is what you do. We make an album that's beautiful and is a keepsake forever. And it's big enough to see the beautiful photos and it's small enough to put in a drawer and one day when you're old and gray or you pass and your kids are older and they find this album, they're going to go, my mom was hot. And that's <laughs> awesome. Because you know what happens when boys become adults? Yes, of course, no kid wants to think of their parents as a sexual being. But when kids okay. become adults, it's important for them to know that mom was a person too. Right. Mom has a life too. Mom was a woman. She wasn't just my mom. And I think that they would feel a very big sense of pride in that. I really like that you said that because I always thought that you just have to burn them at some point because you don't want anyone to see them. No, let me tell you something. I have some pictures of myself that either I took or somebody else took that look damn good. And I will be damned if I'm burning those. I want to look back and I want, I'm going to save those for, I'm going to put them in an envelope and say to my children, please hand these down to your children. Let them know that I was hot <laughs> at some point. And this I, is your grandma. Right. Regardless of breast cancer, this is what I want to be remembered like. Yeah. I love it. So do you do your own, like, do you take photos of yourself ever or do you have someone that does them for you? I do. If I'm doing like a real boudoir shoot, I'll have somebody else take pictures of me because I just feel like it's the experience and I don't want to be bogged down with the editing and, and the whole like, oh, I hate this and I don't and you know, nitpicking myself. But I do take a lot of self-portraits based off of breast cancer and um, showing my chest. And I've taken pictures right after surgery, showing the bruises and the scarring and the drains. And I've done things where I've painted my chest and I've taken pictures of that. All of that stuff oh. can be seen on my Instagram. Cool. Well, the thing I'm going to do now when we're done is I'm going to go get your book because I've not read your book yet. So I felt I now I feel like I'm behind the eight ball and I don't really like that. <laughs> I should have read that before. 
Yeah. So the book is on Kindle right now. The print version will be coming out soon. We're working on that now. But yeah, it is on Amazon. Uh, if you just search my name, you'll find it. It is called What the F, although I'm, I'm editing it, but it's mm-hmm. really the real work. What the F just happened, A Survivor's Guide to Life After Breast Cancer. And here's the truth about the book. I wrote the book because everybody thinks that the hardest part about cancer is the treatment, but it's not. The hardest part about cancer is after you're done being treated and you have to go back to real life and you're like, literally what the F just happened. Like, I I don't even know. Like every cancer survivor says, I love the title. And I was like, yeah, well, I sat down and thought to myself, like, what was I thinking during that time? And what I was thinking was what the F just happened? Like, what is going on here? And how do I get back to my real life? I don't, I don't know how to do that. And so the year to year and a half after I was dying, after I was finished treatment was really hard on me, really, really hard. And I basically wrote the book for women going through that and how they can kind of get it together, form a new normal and and get back to real life. But the truth is anybody that's gone through any trauma will probably resonate with anything that I say in that book. Awesome. I will post the link to that so people can get their hands on that because you can't find anyone who hasn't had a trauma or known someone with cancer or known someone with trauma. So. Yeah. And if you're supporting somebody with cancer, this is a great read also because, you know, people reach out to me often. They'll say to me, uh, like a a woman just reached out to me the other day that said, somebody I really love was just diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, I believe that she should change her diet. How do I reach out to her and just gently push her to eat more plants or vegetables or whatever? And I was like, here's how you do it. You don't. It's none of your business. It's her journey, not your journey. And as much as you love her and you might want to save her, you have to respect that. And so, you know, as a cancer survivor, the advice givers, I talk about them in the book, the advice givers, oh, you should suck on lemons. They're stronger than chemo. You should stop dyeing your hair. You should do this. You should do that. Okay, smarty pants. If it was so easy to cure cancer with sucking on lemons, don't you think we'd all be cancer free? I mean, it just doesn't make sense, you know? Um, So... If you are supporting somebody with cancer, it's really great to go read the book and understand what's going on in a breast cancer survivor's head. Because I have heard from many women like, wow, you're saying what I was thinking and I didn't know how to say it. That's awesome. I love it. Well, you are encouraging people to do better, be better, live better. And that is what I love. So thank you so much for everything that you do. And I will be continuing to follow up with you in the future. Thank you. It was so, so good to be here. And please come see me for photos. It would make me so happy. (laughs) Well, we love family road trips, so let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback. So ratings and reviews are appreciated.